1: Good morning, my name is Anna, and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to Kiera Corporations' year-end conference call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speakers' remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, please press star, then the number two. Thank you. I would now like to turn the call over to Calvin Locke, Manager of Investor Relations. You may begin.
2: Thank you and good morning. Joining me today will be Dean Setaguchi, President and CEO, Eileen Maricar, Senior Vice President and CFO, Jamie Urquhart, Senior Vice President and Chief Commercial Officer, and Jared Bastilny, Senior Vice President, Operations and Engineering. We will begin with some prepared remarks from Dean and Eileen, after which we will open the call to questions. I would like to remind listeners that some of the comments and answers that we will provide speak to future events. These forward-looking statements are given as of today's date and reflect events or outcomes that management currently expects. In addition, we will refer to some non-GAAP financial measures. For additional information
3: on non-GAAP
2: measures and forward-looking statements, refer to Kiara's public filings available on CDAR and on our website. With that, I'll turn the call
3: over to Dean. Thanks, Kelvin, and good morning, everyone. I want to start by reflecting on the past year and recognize the success we achieved delivering several new financial and operational records. The 2021 results reinforce our strategy and they highlight the value we can create for customers and shareholders. Along with higher commodity prices and a more favorable industry outlook, our strong results were a direct result of our focused efforts in five key areas. First, we improved our safety performance and decreased our total recordable injury frequency while while nearly doubling the number of hours worked compared to last year. Second, we demonstrated ESG leadership by setting meaningful emissions reduction targets and advanced our diversity and inclusion programs. Next, we maintained financial discipline through conservative leverage metrics and incorporated a revised and more rigorous capital investment framework. We increased our competitiveness by completing the optimization program of our South gathering processing portfolio, which has led to lower per unit costs and higher per unit margins. We also improved reliability across the business, most notably at AEF, where we set a new annual production record. And lastly, we strengthened our integrated value chain by bringing on more underground cavern storage and building a direct propane supply connection to the Heartland Petrochemical Complex near Fort Saskatchewan. We also made meaningful progress on CAPS, which comes into service in the first quarter of 2023. While we advanced our strategic priorities, the business delivered strong financial results in 2021. In gathering processing, we delivered record annual realized margin and processed 1.5 BCF per day of gas in the fourth quarter, volume levels we haven't seen since early 2019. Contributing to these results were the Pipestone plant, which ran at above 90% capacity through the second half of the year, higher throughput at our WAPI gas plant, and continued positive momentum in the South region. The liquid infrastructure segment also delivered record margin for the quarter and the full year. Record volumes flowed through our industry-leading condensate system and our underground storage business delivered its best-ever margin contribution. We also had strong performance from our fractionation business which continued to operate near capacity. With highly contracted and consistent cash flows, these assets, form the cornerstone of our NGL business. We'll see the strength of this segment further enhanced when the CAPS pipeline is complete. The marketing segment delivered $323 million of realized margin, which exceeded the top end of our guidance. Shifting to our priorities for 2022, we've identified several key priorities. They include a continued focus on safety performance.  • • Maintaining a strong financial position • Successfully executing the CAPS project materially in line with our sanctioned expectations • The project is currently over 40% complete and on schedule to start up in Q1 of 2023 • Continuing to optimize returns on previously deployed capital by filling and debottlenecking capacity while continuing to improve reliability and effectively managing costs across our business. Now, I'll turn over to Eileen to provide an update on her fourth quarter and
4: 2021 financial performance.
5: Thanks, Dean. Adjusted EBITDA was $294 million for the quarter and $956 million for the full year of 2021, the highest annual adjusted EBITDA ever, as both the gathering and processing and liquid infrastructure segments delivered record margins in 2021. And marketing delivered contribution of $323 million for the full year, exceeding the top end of the guidance of $320 million. Net earnings were $90 million for the fourth quarter and $324 million for the full year 2021. Dividends declared and paid for the year were $1.92 per share, resulting in a dividend payout ratio of 63%, which remains well within the company's targeted range of 50 to 70% of distributable cash flow. Now moving on to capital spending. Growth capital spending was $438 million for 2021, which is below the previously provided annual guidance range of $460 million to $490 million. The difference is mainly due to a timing difference of approximately $45 million in spending largely related to the CAPS project that was expected to occur in 2021, which will now occur in 2022. As a result, the capital guidance range for 2022 is being revised upwards to $570 million to $610 million. Our year-end 2021 return on invested capital was 14%. All other previously provided guidance for 2022 remains unchanged. We exited the year in a strong financial position. The company ended the year with net debt to adjusted EBITDA ratio of 2.4 times, which is stronger than the target range of two and a half to three times. We will continue to actively manage our leverage profile in 2022. As we continue to fund cap, we expect our net debt to adjusted EBITDA to temporarily go above our target range of between two and a half and three times. That said, we expect our debt leverage metrics to return to the target range in 2023 as capital expenditures are reduced and caps and other areas of the business generate incremental EBITDA. We also continue to look at opportunities to recycle capital into higher return and more strategic opportunities. For example, last month, the company closed the sale of the Hull Terminal. Net proceeds to Kiera were $40 million U.S which includes approximately $32 million for the asset and $8 million for the value of the inventory. Proceeds from the sale will be applied towards further strengthening the company's balance sheet. I'll now turn it back to Dean.
3: Thanks, Eileen. To wrap up, we see several macro factors that support a positive, longer-term view of our basin and our business. These include Canada's abundant, low-cost supply of natural gas, combined with natural gas broadly gaining recognition as an important fuel for a lower carbon future. Continued egress expansion to high-value markets feeling strong demand and increased investment in the basin. And lastly, strong government support for petrochemical sector growth and for emissions reduction initiatives such as carbon capture and storage. All of these factors combine to create a multitude of opportunities for KIERA to leverage our existing footprint to generate strong returns for decades to come. We can play our key role in Canada's energy future. On behalf of KIERA's Board of Directors and our management team, I thank you for your continued support. With that, I'll turn it back to the operator for Q&A.
1: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, will we now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three-tone brand, acknowledging your request, and your question will be pulled in the order to received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star followed by two. If you are using a speaker phone, please lift the hands up before pressing any keys. One moment, please, for your first question. Your first question comes from Rob Hope with Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Uh,
6: morning, everyone. First uh, question is on CAPS. So. What are the natures of uh, the cost pressures that you're seeing there? And can you remind us uh, some of the puts and takes that you're seeing on costs, sorry, and then remind us uh, how much of the costs you have seen locked up so far? Morning,
7: Roberts. Jared here. Um, we are seeing some cost pressures um, on CAPS, certainly. And I think, um, you know, despite that, we don't ex- materially expect it to differ from our sanction estimate. I think one important thing to note is, um, that we've talked about before is, um, Escalation in steel costs, and um, that's largely behind us. We expect our pipe to be in hand by the end of this quarter, so that's a, a significant um, challenge that that's no longer on the table for us. In terms of locked-in costs, we're on the order of about two-thirds that that have been secured. I think it really speaks to the um, the early contracting strategy we used with our um, when we were initiating construction, and that's been beneficial for us. So again, we uh, we remain on track with uh, to, to come in. Um, not materially different than our sanction.
6: All right, appreciate that. And then just moving over to the Pipestone and the Wapiti plant, uh, you know, we're seeing uh, Wapiti being held back by uh, its water handling. Pipestone's operating at high uh, utilization rates. You know, how are the conversations moving along to potentially de bottleneck or expand these plants?
3: Yeah, Rob. Maybe just as a starter, I'll, before I turn it over to Jamie. Um, that is a very uh, desirable area, and um, we certainly see a lot of activity already. And, and um, you know, I've talked to a lot of producers,
0: not just our existing
3: customers, but other um, customers as well that have plans to grow in the area. So we think that's incredibly, um, you know, exciting for our facilities, and, and especially where they're located. Um, so yeah, we continue to have those discussions, and, and uh, you know, we don't have anything firm to report at this point, but you know, we, we certainly feel encouraged. You have anything you want to add? Gene?
8: Yeah Rob, um, it's a great question. Uh, the way that we the focus right now is on on the de-bottleneck at, at Pipestone. Um, we we consciously put in a larger refrigerant unit than we thought um, necessary just to get after the liquids because that's a big part of our business and that that gives us an opportunity now to, to, to pursue a, a de-bottleneck at the facility. So um, we're on meaningful conversations right now with what that would look like contracting-wise. On the expansion, um, yeah, we have to be just really disciplined around how we contract for that expansion to ensure that you know if if drilling plans change in the, in the future um, with our customers that um, we we we're ensured that we're going to get the, the desired rate of return on that capital spend. Um, expansions can be very quickly um, filled up and then very quickly actually become very empty if you don't have the right contracts in place.
3: And maybe just to add to that,
8: at
9: Pipes,
3: we are working at a small b-bottleneck project there that
1: uh, is backed by a contract. Thank you. Your next question comes from Robert Kwan with RBC Capital. Please go ahead.
6: Okay. Good morning. Um, If I can start by coming back to caps. And I'm just wondering, are are you over the 800 million by a modest amount at this point? Are you just signaling that you've maybe eaten through the contingency um, and and you're just seeing the pressures up there?
7: Yeah, Robert, I'd say that, um, you know, we we are feeling that pressure, but it's it's we still got a long way to go in the project. You know, as Dean noted, we're uh, we're 40%, or a little over 40% through. So we still a lot of work to go. Um, we're in the midst of our peak construction right there, season right now. This winter is key for us. So we'll know a lot more uh, next quarter. But again, at this point, we're, um, we don't see anything um, significant from, from that 800.
6: And, and on that comment that two-thirds has been secured, is that two-thirds of what's left to spend? Or is that two-thirds of the total, call it just the 800, but you've already spent three twenty-eight of it. And if you can just comment in terms of the, the one-third that's exposed, like what are the major buckets, um, you know, within that one-third such as construction?
7: Yeah, that, the, the two-thirds, Robert, was intended to represent the overall cost of, of the project. Um, you know, again, in terms of the materials, I think that's a piece that's largely behind us. What's really left to go now is, uh, is labour and the construction effort. A, a good portion of that's locked in. But there's still a number of variables, weather, um, COVID factors like that that could influence productivity.
6: Got it. Okay. Am I just finish with a question on um, the way you're approaching returns? Um, You know, it seems like there's a little bit more focus here on ROIC. So ultimately, the question relates to how you're thinking about um, project deployment of capital going forward, Uh, with respect to your comfort with deploying capital. Um, with returns that maybe just are a little bit more on the come, first uh, via partially contracting, similar to what you did with caps. Um, what's your comfort level with that, or, or we, should we expect more of a, a take or pay, fully contracted approach going forward? Yeah, I mean,
3: you know, uh, Eileen's on us all the time, so uh, <laughs> she cracks the whip. Yeah, definitely, uh, Robert. You know, I think the amount of risk that we're prepared to take on a given project um, is, would be certainly less less going forward. So, we're going to look for a much higher um, contracted return in order for us to uh, deploy capital in, in the future.
6: Okay, and just how do you think about using ROIc though? Because when you look at the definition, it benefits from shrinking the denominator in this quarter's. Has, has a couple of different things in that and selling, you know, an underperforming asset in Hull or the impairment at RIMBY, you know, all things being equal that improves ROIC, yet it's not really improving profitability. Yeah.
1: You know, I, I'll, I'll
3: let uh, Aline comment about this as well, but, you know, I guess what I can say is that we have different um, investment hurdles internally, um, but, you know, I think for simplicity, and something that people can calculate based on public information, we've um, we've used something a simple calculation. But we have we put a lot more rigor in terms of again the financial hurdles that we um, you know that we uh, expect to achieve in, internally.
1: Okay, great. Thanks. Your next question comes from Matt Taylor with Tudor Pickering Holtz. Please go ahead.
4: Great. Uh, thanks for taking my questions here. Um, I just wanted to go back to Wapiti Dean, and and can you start filling that phase two today, um, or do you, or do you have the liquid panel ball I just want to be clear on that point.
8: What after that? Yeah. So Matt, thanks for the question. Um, yeah, we 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 certainly have the ability to um, fill phase two um, um, today. We, we did some work back in December with one of our customers that w- assisted in some of the water handling uh, bottlenecks that we had at the facility so um, you know that, that obviously um, uh, our customer and our us invested um, some capital to to enable um, their growth aspirations and and uh, you know we've obviously seen um, some of that materialize early in this year but we we fully expect that we'll see Further growth. Now, you know there there is limitations with respect to how much we're going to be able to um, grow without um, having to handle some some additional bottlenecks at at that facility. But um, yeah, our our expectation is you'll we'll start to see some inlet volumes um, that that uh, would be in excess of uh, the first phase, which is 150 million a day at at Wapiti. Yeah, yeah, Matt. If I could just add to Jamie's comments, I mean, um, certainly we can use. A portion
3: of, of the second train capacity but but we would have to invest uh, more capital to use the full capacity of the second train um, you know I think the things that we've been Jamie's team has been working on is um, as he mentioned you know we're trying to also use um, third-party facilities in the area we're trying to minimize the amount of capital that we have to deploy to, to fill that white space and so as Jamie said we've we've actually tied into a third-party water disposal facility and uh, instead of us Again, making that investment, let's use someone else's facilities and bring the gas to our facility. So, that's one of the strategies. Uh, another thing that's also maybe going to help us in our favor a bit going forward is um, one of our customers uh, where they're drilling now is going to be in more of a gassier area and with, with lower liquids cuts, including water. So um, again, that just helps us bring more of a pure stream of, uh, of natural gas to the plant. So, um, you know, not creating further bottlenecks in in areas that uh, are already tight. So those are some of the things that, you know, I think that we have kind of go in our favor that, you know, might help
4: with that more volunteer to that facility. That's great. Thanks for that. And then just in terms of using a more temporary solution in, in a third party versus getting to that full capacity on phase two of having to spend CapEx, is that, Something that's contemplated in your your CapEx guidance today, or do you you need to to you know assess how much that that may cost and and your customers' needs and then and then update the market at at some other point
3: yeah, like like you know like we're saying, I mean Matt, we have um, more capacity that we can add to that facility without adding capital, so that is going to be step one. And uh, and as we get to the point where we think we need to the bottleneck, we think that that's some point in the future, like you know maybe second and a half of next year or maybe twenty twenty four. So um, you know we'll we'll address it at, at sort of that that time. Our first priority right now is to you know, utilize the capacity that we have available.
4: Great, thanks for that, Dean. And then I just wanted to move over to liquids. Really strong print there. I wanted to get some sense, I know you've messaged previously, you know, a decent run rate is about 100 million a quarter, just in terms of us, us thinking through that business versus what you printed there in Q4. Can you give us some sense of how much of that performance was tied to higher storage revenues from, from a good pricing environment and higher interruptible condensate volumes above your take or pay levels and try to get a sense of, of how much of that you could continue to see about in 2022 above that run rate? million
5: dollar level? Maybe I'll start and then Jamie can certainly add in. There is still a little bit of seasonality. So typically in that Q4 to Q1 period, there tends to be a a bit of a pop mainly because of the propane. Like Joseph Burke is is certainly more active with all of the the propane uh, that's moving out. So that's what we tend to see, um, you know, in that Q4 to Q1 period.
8: Yeah, so just the underlying uh, fundamentals, Matt, is is that, you know, you, you touched on them. You know, like, I mean, obviously we're starting um, to experience some record volumes through our condensate system. Um, you know, frack capacity is tight um, in the province, regardless of the plains outage. You know, we, um, we fully expect, as we have in the last couple of years, to, to have our Port uh, Saskatchewan assets fully implemented. Uh, storage continues to be, um, you know, valued by our customers in, in high demand. So, you know, re- really, uh, it's all of the above. Um, you know, we just our customers are, you know, commodity prices are are very strong and our customers are are seeing the benefit of that, and and as a result, so are we.
4: Great, thanks for that, Jamie. And then one last one, if I may, on on U.S. butane blending. We mentioned in the in the report there that that margins are currently economic and that you might see some underutilization at, at wild horse which might push out the returns uh, on that um, project there my understanding is most of that is is contributions that would show up in marketing so is, is that impacting the way you're thinking about uh, run rate guidance obviously you know more to come on, on that whether or not you release run rate guidance so i'm just trying to think in terms of you know some of these facilities on the us butane blending side that might not be normal and, and how that might be impacting your thinking on on marketing
8: yeah so as you point out look i mean we'll, we'll be in a better position at investor day in six weeks to give um you know guidance will be through our contracting season in, in western canada which really drives the primary contributions to the organization but as it pertains to the u.s um yeah certainly the fact that butane has softened substantially. Um, in, in the U.S. Um, is going to be a favorable um, contributor to, um, you know, the, the commercial value that a, a terminal like Wild Horse contributes. Um, you know, having said that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's still a challenge. Uh, that, that facility, um, you know, is, is going to be challenged to really um, provide, in my mind, a, a strong contribution consistent with what we would have assumed at sanction based on the huge backwardization of crude right now. It's like, it's, um, it's, it's a challenge to, uh, uh, to um, make money, um, you know, uh, on the, on the crude blending side. And you would see right now, Cushing, the the storage levels at Cushing are are at a historic low just because of that fact. So, um, you know, we're, we're still confident in the asset um, going forward, but certainly, you know, it, 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 there's a challenge um, for the conventional blending um, operations uh, out of cushion, given the current conditions. Those conditions are very favourable for other parts of our business, but for this specific part of our business, um, you know, um, I would say better days ahead with respect to wildfires.
4: Great. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for taking my question.
1: Your next question comes from Patrick Kenny with National Bank Financial. Please go ahead.
10: Thank you. Good morning. Um, just on this asset sale program, could you provide any color on which other assets might be considered to be non-core? Um, curious if Wild Horse would be in that bucket, just given the cash flow challenges you mentioned, relative to the the potential price tag there, and then I guess the credit accretion on that one, and also. If you can maybe comment on your Edmonton assets, um, you know, thinking ACT, baseline, just wondering how you're thinking about your crude oil terminals in general being core to the business um, or not at this point.
3: Hey, good morning, Pat. It's it's Dean. Um, You know what? We're not in a position right now to sort of share uh, with a lot of detail, I guess, what, what we plan to dispose of. You know, I, I think generally what I can say is that we're trying to get more focused in our operations, though, and um, and really focused on the parts of our business that are, are just very um, highly integrated. And, um, and, and, and again, we're areas that we can continue to grow at and, and also transition. So that would be just sort of a general overview. We're trying to match that also with... Um, You know, again, just the the ideal timing for uh, the crystallization of of value of assets so that, again, we're we're maximizing that value for our shareholders as well. Um, So we're just trying to marry some of those factors together. But um, overall, we do have a sort of ongoing um, disposition program. Pat, I might
5: just add to that. Sorry, it's Eileen. Um, you know, I think you can think about it, the criteria that I think we use is like, you know, we think about how how the asset contributing current and in the future, um, you know, how does it impact our leverage metrics, how does it fit within our overall emission reduction targets and goals, and then, you know, how does it fit with our goal of increasing stability of cash flow and that take or pay. So those are some of the things we'll think about as we think about divestment.
10: Yeah, thanks, Eileen. And, and this may come out at Investor Day, but would you be looking to establish perhaps a target range um, with respect to total sale proceeds that you'd be looking to to bring in over say the next 12 to 18 months?
5: Probably not something at this point that we can talk about, but maybe more at Investor Day.
10: Great. Um, moving over to carbon sequestration. Uh, can you just confirm if if you guys did participate in the Industrial Heartland um, RFP process, and if not, maybe what other sequestration opportunities across your portfolio might be, say, on the front burner through 2022?
3: Yeah, I guess we, you know, Pat, I guess we're, we won't comment on I guess maybe confidential um, kind of situations like that, what we participate in or not, but. Generally, I can say that we are interested in uh, CCUS, and um, you know we do have a, a strong asset position already in, in the, the industrial heartland that we think we can leverage, um, also also for CCUS as well. So um, you know we do have interest generally in that area, and um, and we think that we have other um, areas of interest uh, in, in in our operations
9: in the South gene people at Polo and and also the North as well.
10: Okay, great. Uh last one from you guys. Just on the contracting front for CAPS, this is probably another confidential one, but um just directionally, can you provide a bit of bit of an update as to you know how much of the initial capacity is spoken for? I believe you were at seventy percent this time last year. And maybe just uh any comment on whether or not there's been any change to scope or the reach of the project, given you know some of the activity levels that you've been uh, witnessing over the past
7: six months or so.
3: Yeah, we haven't updated our initial guidance, um, Pat. So, you know, I guess I'll, I'll let that stand. But um, generally, as we've been saying, is that the discussions that we're having with our customers have been more and more engaging for sure. Um, I mean, if you just look at their balance sheets, um, you know, they're starting to think a lot longer term now versus obviously a year ago. And, um, you know, we obviously follow the, you know, the blueberry um, you know, First Nations and, and also the, um, you know, the government of BC and what's happening there. Um, but when we talk to our customers, we get a sense that um, they're feeling a lot more confident in terms of, you know, some, some resolution happening here in the, in the visible future. So um, with that, I, I would just say in the both sides of the, of, uh, the border in, in terms of that Montney Fairway, there's just more, more optimism. And, uh, and, again, that's just leading to more more
1: engaging discussions with our customers and caps. All right. That's great. I'll leave it there. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from Andrew Kroski with Credit Suisse. Please go ahead.
11: Thanks. Good morning. Uh, if we could maybe focus just on the interplay of your business activities and just some of the increased exports of butane and propane off the West Coast, you, know, you, you don't necessarily have direct involvement all the time in that, in that business and you don't own the, the assets that, that ship it. But how do you think about the tension there of, is that a threat or an opportunity? And then maybe related, did you have any benefit or burden from just the flooding activity that happened in in british columbia during q4 hi good
3: morning andrew um you know first of all we think it's great that there's um higher value more access to higher value markets for all of our our products in, in uh, western canada i mean it's it's something that we've lacked for forever <laughs> and uh it's never been about the amount of resource that we have in our basin it's just Again, it's market access. So, you know, when we think about NGLs in particular, um, it's great that we have access to, uh, to Asia um, off the west coast of Canada. And um, we, we see volume continuing to increase in our basin. In, in our asset base, uh, our strategy has always been to give our customers um, maximum flexibility. And, and most of them like to be able to access uh, a basket or a portfolio of markets um, just so they're not captive to one place. And also, logistically, you know, they don't want to be maybe just, um, you know, totally exposed to the logistics of getting, um, you know, their products by rail to the West Coast either. So, um, you know, we can offer, um, again, access to the West Coast, uh, to the U.S. markets. Uh, Mid-continent has been very strong, but also local markets, uh, including, you know, obviously there's a PDH facility that's about to start up. Um, There's a local industrial uh, propane market. And we see a growing demand for um, for solvents, propane and butane solvents in uh, Western Canada. That, again, we think it's an opportunity that we can serve in the future as well. So, again, our strategy has been to offer our customers maximum flexibility to to access all those markets, and we think it's good for for, for the basin.
11: Okay, that's that, that's very helpful color and context. And then just just upon the flooding, did you have any detriment or benefit in the quarter?
8: Andrew, Jamie, no, no, we did not um, did not impact us. In fact, probably was a slight benefit based on where, where our flexibility, as Dean said, with respect to the markets that we're able to add. Okay,
11: great. Uh, just to follow-up, and you mentioned a little bit of this PDH that's coming up and running later on. Have you seen any behavioral difference just from willingness to contract or just a way of doing business with, you know, the new owner of... Of, of those assets and Cochrane and everything that goes with it, you know, versus the past and what you dealt with.
8: Um, it's, it's Jamie again. Uh, I, I wouldn't say we've noticed any um, notice, noticeable difference, certainly around the PDH facility. We, we, we've already, as Dean said, we've got an interconnection there and, and we're, we're helping our customers facilitate being able to access that market. Um, you know, on the other parts of the business um you know certainly there's there's opportunity in our eyes to to uh, um do business with Interpipeline regardless of what, whether it was the previous management team or or the current management team and and we continue to have dialogue with Interpipeline uh, on what might hold value for both our organizations okay thank uh, you very I much we have, a, Sorry, we have a good relationship yeah we have a good
3: relationship with with Brookfield and uh both their entities you know North River and uh, and
9: now under pipeline, so you know we see them as a as a valued uh,
3: you
1: know partner. Okay. Thank you. Your next question comes from Linda Isagales with TD Securities. Please go ahead.
0: Thank you. Um, just wondering if you could maybe give some high level thoughts around. The guardrails of your of your financing plan the next couple of years not just to fund caps but also uh, refinancing some some maturing um, debt uh, securities in in a potentially or very likely rising interest rate environment how do you balance maybe like pre financing pre funding locking in long term capital um, uh, financing versus uh, potentially retaining some flexibility depending on how your asset sales uh, work out and um, i guess the, the the two-prong question to that is and and how are your discussions with the rating agencies kind of influencing how you think of those guardrails and what your options are
5: yeah thanks linda um yeah as we think about our, our guardrails i mean that two and a half to three times leverage is kind of what we use um, that keeps us very well in line with the rating agencies um, so, those, you know, we have good relationships with both DBRS as well as s and have had recent uh, reviews with both of them. Uh, as I think about, you know, 2022, certainly we do see that debt level going up toward the end of the year, especially, you know, with AEF coming, uh, having their six week outage and then uh, the, the maintenance capital. But we do see that coming back down in line. So, when I think about capital allocation and our priorities, you know, we would look to reduce our debt through 2023 to bring that back into you know those guardrails of that two and a half to three times uh, and, then, and then it's looking at, you know, our other options between weighing it, you know, as we look into 24, 25, um, growth capital versus returning capital to shareholders. Those are kind of how we're looking at it. In terms of interest rates, yeah, absolutely. You know, the good thing is we don't have anything material really coming due until 2024. So that's very, very positive for us. Um, You know, and I think about we were about, you know, a little over $250 million uh, drawn on our uh, line of credit at at the end of the year. So, certainly, I think, you know, we always look to um, term out debt. And so, potentially, it makes more sense to do that earlier in the year versus later when there are several interest rate
0: uh, hikes expected. Thank you. And um, recognizing that... Um, capital markets can change and, and how you return capital to shareholders will change over time. Um, any thoughts evolving around the merits of discrete dividend increases potentially tied to new assets coming into service versus uh, maybe a smooth profile uh, over time?
5: You know, again, I step back and I think our, at the end of the day, our goal is to is, is to focus on increasing that distributable cash flow on a per-share basis, and we will weigh all of those options, again, growth capital, dividends, share buybacks, um, so I'll leave it at that.
0: Okay, thank you,
1: Uh, I'll jump back in the queue. Your next question comes from Ben Pham with BMO, please go ahead. Okay,
12: thanks, good morning, maybe I can start, uh, go back to the non-core asset. uh, conversation, asset recycling. Maybe I can ask it in a way, are there any assets in your portfolio that are highly core to you, sacrosanct, and that you would never sell at any price? You mentioned integration is is important for you, but maybe I'll take it from the perspective of of core assets.
9: Well, I
3: guess we'll say never say never um, because we're always trying to add value for our shareholders, but you know, really, the I'd say the nucleus of our of our asset base is, is uh Port Saskatchewan. I mean, you know, that that's the product of um, you know probably 30 or 40 years of all the connectivity that's been built over that time period um, to get to where you know that that property is today. And obviously, we we have those same advantages now because we have great connectivity to the you know, to the Jonesesburg undeveloped land that we acquired in 2017. So, um, you know, that would be sort of core to our business. But, you know, as Eileen said, I mean, we're also looking at areas where, you know, first of all, that we have uh, very strong competitive advantages, but where we can bring more of that um, contracted cash flow uh, into our into our business and, uh, and also feed the whole integrated value chain because that's, that's really the benefit of Cere is that every time we touch a molecule and, and it moves through our integrated value chain, we generate a fee or we earn a margin at the end. And so we want to we want to continue to build on that sort of concept in, in that part of our business. So caps will be uh, tremendously important uh, once that's that's in place. And we we certainly think that our our um, Montney assets are are actually very um, you know, very valuable as well. But again. You know, we're also looking to try to continue to increase our our long-term contracting on the on the GMP part of that business.
12: And maybe I can follow up. would you would you ever consider without, without naming a, a core asset? Like, would you consider selling down, say, ten percent, small slice, charging a an operating fee? To you mentioned around boosting returns, would you be open to something like that?
3: You know, again, without without going in specifics. Um, we're here to create value for our shareholders. So, you know, can we be creative and, and looking at different alternatives? Yeah, we'll, we'll look at everything, but it, it's got to be again a net net value add for our shareholders, okay. not just for today but long term.
12: And maybe maybe one more from you on going back to the the caps project. Has has your view on how the volumes and returns are ramping up when you first announced it changed at all? Just just seeing how 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 the trends have have been and and do you do you think or do you uh that there could be maybe repositioning on scope uh in response to maybe some of the, the petrochemical build out that you you could be seeing
9: um, you know we
3: like i said before i mean i think we feel pretty good about um about caps and and uh the interest in caps with the basin discussions that we're having and again the outlook that we have for the for the basin and the need for competition uh competitive alternative for uh ngl pipeline transportation out of the out of the mountain
6: um
3: we do believe that caps uh you know could be could create other opportunities like um you know potentially um, providing ethane, ethane feedstock as an example in the future, but. Again, the only way we would pursue that type of opportunity is if it were highly contracted to to secure our rate of return
12: in advance. Yeah, and, and maybe just to clarify that point, um, the, I mean the, the the returns you're targeting is, is ten to fifteen percent, and you've you've maintained that even with the last capex increase. But you also, I think, when you first announced that uh, there was um, a phase return approach over three years or so, is that is that still? Uh, what you're expecting, or maybe you pull forward a, a better return in the front end?
3: Yeah, it's still phased. It's still phased, and, and again, um, you know, again, the target range, the simple range, is 10 to 15% return in capital. Okay. okay. Again, not that like, like CAPS, you don't get your, all your volumes on day one. It's a, there's certainly a wrap up to that profile.
5: And that's just on the pipe, there's all the downstream benefits as well on top of that.
1: Okay. All right. Thank you. Your next question comes from Robert Cadleer with CIBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
9: Yeah. Good morning. Only a couple follow-up questions left. Um, in uh, in the CEO message, you you mentioned implementing a new rigorous capital investment criteria. Can you please describe that and you know what what's really changed there?
3: Yeah, you know what, if we're perfectly honest, you know, we probably um we, we, we probably invested in some areas that we wouldn't we would invest today. And uh you know, today we certainly see um, a lot of I don't know there's a lot of background noise on the line, but um, maybe you mute, mute your line. Yeah. Uh, sorry, uh and uh Robert, we um first of all we we want to be more focused in, in terms of uh the type of um, businesses that we invest in or assets that we invest in. And as I said before, we're looking for a much higher contracted por- por- uh, profile um, before we sanction a project. So, again, we're, we're not willing to take as much risk as we, we did in the past. Um, we really want to focus on, again, assets that are really integrated and, and probably more so focused on our Canadian business now. Um, again, with all the egress that is getting built, has been built and getting built, we certainly see um, more growth, um, you know, in our basin, and uh, we're very well positioned here and have a lot of competitive advantages. So we want to um, continue to build on that, and obviously, caps is a great example. But we see a lot of um, good downstream opportunities, like in in uh, Fort Saskatchewan, and uh, some of that is like fractionation, storage, um, that Jamie referred to earlier. But uh, but beyond that, you know, we think we can continue to. You uh, find great opportunities
9: in that area with good counterparts. Okay, that's helpful. And then um, uh, there's also a comment about um, you know increased supply of octane blending components being important to us. So can you provide more color there? And uh, you know, do you think this is an ongoing impact? Um, so what do you expect from this development? So, yeah I I missed the first part of it, what you we just said. Could you repeat that please? I, I think sure, I, I think the the MDNA had a comment about increased supply of octane blending components being imported into the US so my interpretation was thats um, you know some product competition for for AEF, so can you describe what you're seeing there and whether there's a expected to be an ongoing impact?
8: So, Robert, it's Jamie, um, so yeah, I wouldn't characterize it as it's uh, it's, it's a competing product for our products because you know our, our product is a superior product from an RVP perspective and an octane perspective, but it's certainly weighed temporarily on um, the premium that octanes have in the North American market, and that frankly is just as a result of um, the world not um, you know uh, gasoline demand not responding and, and recovering as quickly on other parts of the world as it did in North America. And as a result, um, the refineries that were creating octanes as part of their process um, saw North America as a higher value market. So that, that product was diverted to North America um, for that period of time. What we've seen in, in the last couple months, however, is that the, those octanes are now staying, frankly, where they belong, which is where they're produced. And as a result of that, we've seen a rebalancing in the North American market. And premiums have come back to uh, historical levels, which is, which is a positive outcome, obviously, for our iso-octane business. Because, once again, that product is, is you know, we, we don't have any issues selling the product. It's just ultimately, um, you know, the price that we're going to garner as a result of, of what those octane premiums are.
9: Yeah, thank you very much. That's good caller.
1: Thank you. There are no further questions at this time. Mr. Locke, you may proceed.
2: Thank you all once again for joining us today. Uh, Please feel free to reach out to our investor relations team for any additional questions. Thank you.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines.
4: With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments. Get started at Chime.com slash build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stripe Bank NA members, FDIC. Results may vary. See Chime.com for details. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app.
10: Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card.